You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 132. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. This special Q&A episode is on my newest favorite topic that I have been studying since last May, all about work and self-worth. Why work and self-worth, you might ask? Because I actually struggled with this myself up until last May when I realized that it was a problem. I found myself frustrated for what felt like the millionth time looking at my statistics on my website and the blog and podcast back then. And as many times before, there was a temporary dip in traffic, which sent me whirling and feeling like I was doing something wrong. And I was so frustrated with this feeling and I was so used to feeling this way over the six or seven years by that point that I'd been doing this stuff that I wanted out. I wanted out of that suffering. I wanted out of that emotional roller coaster of self-worth and work. And in that moment realized that what I was dealing with was not just something normal, quote unquote, that everyone suffers with, that those that do suffer with this may see it as normal because there are so many people in our society today struggling like this, but that that doesn't mean that that is normal or that that should be the case. And in that realization, I decided to devote the next course of my own study to figure out how I could get through this process, detach my self-worth from my work, and help others to do so. So I've spent almost 100 hours interviewing fellow work and self-worth sufferers, as well as experts and coaches to find out more about those who are struggling with this, like myself, and also what we can do about it. It has been my pleasure to be working on this and to come up with a framework and an approach that has truly helped me to detach my self-worth and work in huge leaps and bounds. And what's amazing about this is just like when I had my issues with eating in the past, by letting go of those old ways of approaching eating in a disordered way, just like here with approaching my work in this disordered way, what has happened is that the results of that, even though I wasn't consciously seeking the positive outcome of having work going in a better direction has actually happened. And I think it's because when we unlock and unhinge ourselves from these self-worth issues, when we attach them to things like body or career, we're actually suffering in ways that are stopping us from the things we actually want. And by letting go of that whole concept altogether, things flow more naturally. So that is what I am so excited to bring to you guys. Registration for Work and Worth, my newest online course, is now open as of today, which is Tuesday. It's a three-week online class with two live trainings and one live Q&A session. The live trainings and the Q&A session will all be recorded. So for those with time zone issues, there's no concerns there. And there will be the availability to hop on live and ask questions live or submit your questions for the Q&A session if you can't make it recorded. There's a workbook, homework, and a Facebook community as well. In the class, we're going to talk about how to get out of the self-worth trap for good, how to determine the next steps in your career now and going forward so that you're in the right place at the right time, because no matter what we do about your career and self-worth, 
If you're not in the right place at the right time, suffering is going to be inevitable. And we're also, most importantly, going to talk about how to approach and process the inevitable highs and lows of our careers going forward peacefully. Because the truth is, there's always going to be ups and downs. We just don't necessarily want to stay stuck in the high highs or the low lows or just be kind of constantly on that roller coaster of emotion that comes with self-worth tied to your work. Registration, as I said, is now open today through April 6th at workandworth.com. You can go over there to learn more and to sign up. Class officially begins the same day that registration closes, which is April 6th. As always, I ask you to touch base with your intuition. If this work and this approach feels like a fit for you at an intuitive level, I am so excited to work with you. Now let's move on to our questions all about work and worth in today's episode. First, we're going to start with that owl girl 23 who asked, one thing I'm wondering is how to handle it when others, as it always happens at parties and such, ask what you do. How can you answer that in a polite way that also kind of says, yes, this is my job, but I'm more than just my job. This question actually came up a lot in my research as I was interviewing people with this issue when I asked people, why is work so important to you? A lot of people would talk about this dreaded question at the cocktail parties. So what do you do? And what's interesting is in the research, one of the people that I interviewed mentioned that in Europe, it is considered uncouth or ungraceful to even ask this question in the first place. But here in the US or unlike Europe where I'm at, this is a very, very common question. So I'd first say, let's just look at that, that maybe we don't need to see this as the default question that we should be asking even ourselves and to recognize that not only do we have to receive this question, but let's make sure that we're not projecting and pushing this question on others. So first, we can try to avoid it ourselves and recognize that it's not necessarily the end-all, be-all question to start with. I think that just in the U.S. at least or in my culture, it just feels like a safe question to start with rather than something that feels unsafe because you don't know what the other person's answer is going to be. It's just kind of this default thing. But my first response to this when I thought about this question was to possibly just say, right now I help people by blank and I'm passionate about blank. So one thing you could say is instead of saying I do blank, you could say, what do you do to help other people? How are you helping others with what you're doing? And if it's not what you want to do, ultimately, you could also follow that up with, and I'm passionate about blank. So right now I help people by doing accounting in a big three firm, and I'm passionate about helping small business owners with their taxes going forward. And I'm so excited to be doing that more in the future. Or I help people by doing blank and I'm passionate about reading and I love traveling all over the world. So even if you're not trying to transition your job, you could still share what you're passionate about that's outside of your job in that scenario. Then follow up that question with what are you passionate about? This is something from theminimalist.com that I enjoy. They had a slightly different take on this. They just said to share what you're passionate about and then ask what they're passionate about rather than even answering the question, what do you do in general, which I think is kind of not really quite directly answering the question they ask. So I think that right now saying, right now I help people by blank and I'm passionate about whatever else might still divert the conversation. And ultimately, people do not have to understand what you do. (laughs) This is something that I've learned with what I do, sharing what I do with people. Some people think I have like 17 jobs and other people think I don't have one job to my name. So I don't really need to prove myself to them and explain it. 
I can just say I help people by doing this and I have a podcast and a class to do so, but I don't really let that stop me from the conversation. So I'd also say it's okay if they don't understand. They may not need to in order to have that conversation with you. And by talking about what you're passionate about, career or otherwise, in just your general life might be the way to go. Now we have Rachel Wojcicki who asks, I am a private piano instructor and I find that parents will text me at any hour of the day sometimes with topics that should have been emailed. Even if I don't open or respond, I'm still thinking about it at dinner or in the evening. How can I address this or stop thinking about work? This is a wonderful question, Rachel. And I think the first step is to make a policy for yourself and a policy for your clients. Perhaps the policy will be email only unless within one hour of a start time. So maybe if there is someone that's late on their way to dropping their child off for piano instruction, they do need to text you. But otherwise, you can tell them that you only respond through email. And another way to do this also is to simply start training them. So yes, you want to tell your current people in an effort to stay very focused and mindful in my career and streamline my systems, I am exclusively responding through email unless it's within one hour of a start time. And if they don't follow that policy right away, my suggestion would be to start training them by enforcing the policy yourself. So respond to the texts in emails the next day. By doing this and continuing to say, thank you so much for your text, and then answering it through the email, they're going to start realizing that that's how they get a hold of you. So that would be my suggestion is to make a policy and then train them by actually following through on the policy on your own end until they get the hang of it. Next up, we have BL Williams 88. She says, I constantly struggle with wanting to be everything to everyone in all aspects of my life, but especially my work. How do I set boundaries with myself and others so that I start listening to my own needs and putting myself first? This is a wonderful piggyback to the question we just shared, which is all about boundaries. So I'm gonna say, first of all, determine your boundaries. And I think that the Brene Brown episode It's going to be very helpful in terms of how to state your boundaries to the people you need to tell them to. In the episode, we talk about Santosha and how to state your appreciation for their request and what you need so that you can appreciate their request and also make sure that you're following what is best for you. In order to determine your boundaries, though, let's go back to that. What boundaries should you have? What do you need? My suggestion would be to do the writing exercise you've heard me speak about in the past by talking to your intuition and figuring out what those boundaries need to be. You can do so by going to jesslively.com slash intuition to find out more on how to do this. And I also just want to reflect back to you, B.L. Williams, that this struggle with wanting to be everything to everyone in all aspects of your life and especially your work is something that came up so frequently in the research that I did for Work and Worth. This is one of the most common things that especially females in the 25 to 40-year-old category especially want the most. They want to look like they have everything together and work is simply one of those aspects of how they show the world that they have it together. Hopefully these things like determining your boundaries through the writing exercise and then using Brene Brown's framework for stating your appreciation and what you need will help. And now we have, I'm not sure how to say this username, Anna Sarah Barb. (laughs) Sorry if I have butchered that. Your question is, I would like to know if you have any tips on how to get your partner 
or family on board while working on your dreams to make them understand that you believe in yourself and what you do and that you can do it. I sometimes feel like people are saying, sure, but what they're really saying is you should find something real to do. This can feel really tough. Sometimes we can extrapolate a lot of things when people say things like the word sure, and we can make a whole story around what that sure means to us and what they're probably thinking. And sometimes we might be right. Sometimes the sure might really mean you should find something real to do. But other times the sure just might be sure or sure, I don't really get it, but it seems like you're happy. So I would say for your extended family, allow them to be where they are. And if they don't get it, that's okay. And if they're trying to support you in any way they can, even if if it's kind of half-hearted, that's where they're at and you can appreciate what they are able to give and make sure that you don't let any of their own resistances stop you from taking action on what your intuition does want for you. In addition, don't feel like you have to over-explain yourself. Share what you're working on and that you're happy. Radiate your joy and fulfillment from following your intuition, but don't feel like you have to overcompensate for how you're doing so that they understand. They don't need to when it's an extended family. When it comes to your partner, obviously that's a much different story because you actually have to share finances with them and you're making life decisions based on your choices. For that, I would say to ask for their support and encouragement and share in a very open-hearted, vulnerable way about the lessons and the intuition that you are receiving. I don't know your situation with the partner, so I'm not sure what more details I can give other than those overall principles. Many, many times it's often as long as their values are also being met, like, you know, making sure that you're financially in a place that you both share and agree upon, something that people are happy to support us with when it comes from a deep, deep place within ourselves. And ultimately, I would say, don't let what you think others believe of you define yourself. You need to stay more tied to your own intuitions, knowing for you than it's projections of what other people may think about you. This is easier said than done when the ego really wants to stay attached to every little thing that it's thinking based on whatever little whispers you hear inside of your ear. So someone says one thing and then you hear this little whisper in your ego saying, that's what they're really saying. Try to have epic compassion for that voice because ultimately that's the voice you're hearing much more than the one sure that a grandparent said three months ago. And have epic compassion when that voice reiterates what that should means to you, because sometimes that sure just means sure. And sometimes it does feel like you should find something else real to do. But don't let the projected voice of someone else rob you of the joy you have by listening to the own voice within you. Your intuition knows what is going to bring you joy. And I think that ultimately, you becoming the fullest version of who you are is going to bring everyone in your family more grace and joy just because you're being yourself rather than trying to be someone you're not. Now let's move on to Jess Ann Helton, who asks, what practices do you do to strengthen self-worth? Do you have any touchstones or affirmations that ground you if and when an idea or project doesn't turn out how you wanted? Love your Q&A episodes, Jess. Jess, good name. Like that already. I love this question. So when it comes to strengthening your self-worth, my First and foremost answer is don't focus on self-worth at all. And here's why. Self-worth implies value, like net worth, worth, worth has an assigned value. So then we move on to the word value. What is a value? A value, not like an uppercase V value, but like self-worth being value is measured. 
So not an uppercase V value, but self-worth is getting measured. When we get measured, what do we measure ourselves on? Achievements. So when we measure ourselves on achievements, we're shiny penny chasing those achievements. And what's wrong with shiny penny chasing? They're never enough. So if you follow my line of thinking here, you go from self-worth to value, value to measurement, measurement to shiny penny chasing and achievements, you're never going to have enough self-worth. It's always going to be more. You're always going to need to get to the next rung and the next one. You have to get this penny, then you have to get that one. And also there is a problem here. Notice that I said you never have enough. And one of the things we like to say to ourselves is, I am enough, that is my self-worth, that too, I believe, is a problem. Because if you ask me a question like, do you have enough tea in your cup right now? I'm going to measure whether I have enough tea in my cup. I'm going to measure it, which again, brings me back to value, shiny penny chasing, and self-worth. So we need to get out of this vicious cycle that is measured. That is one of the foundational pieces of work and worth, And what we need to do is tap into something that is unchanging. And I propose that that unchanging source of value, or you hear me saying it, right? It's so hard to get away from these words like self-worth and value. But what we're looking for in terms of when we say those types of things, I believe, is dignity as a person. When we can find and tap into our dignity as a person, which is unchanging in any career or any age of any person on this planet, then we drop the hunt for worth in any place. Like I said, this is a huge part of work and worth because if we keep trying to find self-worth or self-esteem or value or measurement or enoughness, we're going to keep going around the mountain trying to qualify who we are by our achievements and shiny penny chasing. This is a dangerous trap that many of us, if not most of our society, falls into and does a huge disservice to ourselves and to everyone around us. Because when we measure ourselves this way, we're measuring others this way, and we're treating everyone differently according to their perceived value in our heads, which is a very slippery slope. And in Work and Worth, we figure out how to actually tap into that dignity and move forward so that we're no longer attached to this place. Now we'll move on to fueling fresh. She says, I was underemployed for over four years and it did a number on my self-esteem. I would ask you how to work through those feelings of inadequacy when everyone around you has a full-time job and you're working really hard and doing everything you can, but nothing is working out. This is a really fascinating question and it's something that I did interview others who had similar situations in the work and worth research. And I'll say the first thing I would suggest you do is surround yourself with infinite grace. This is something I do for myself whenever I feel like I have acted out of alignment with my values. And though you haven't acted out of alignment with your values at all here, I think that sometimes when we have any feeling of inferiority or shame or guilt, it is so helpful to imagine ourselves surrounded by infinite grace for all that is wonderful and that we do appreciate about ourselves and all the things that we perceive to be lacking. Not that they are lacking, but just the perception of that lacking. To imagine ourselves surrounded by infinite grace starts to make us realize and give ourselves a little bit more perspective that we are not so big that we cannot be surrounded by infinite grace. Like it starts to make us feel a little smaller. And what's nice about that, not smaller as insignificant, just smaller as in this problem is not the only thing going on in this world, which gives us some perspective. Then after we have a little bit of that grace and we can finally kind of start to live with the duality of what we enjoy about our lives and also the things that we're not super comfortable with, 
I would suggest doing The Work by Byron Katie. I love Byron Katie. She has a wonderful book called Loving What Is, which I highly recommend. I've done a little example of how this works. So take notes if you're interested, or like I said, pick up Loving What Is if you would like to get deeper into this process. First, she asks you to figure out what your should is. What is the biggest thought? And I'm guessing for you, based on your question, it would be, I should have a job right now. Now, what we're gonna do is we're gonna take that statement, I should have a job right now, and we're gonna ask four questions about that statement. So the first question, is it true? Is it true that I should have a job right now? Now, this is not about a, this is what should be happening. This is a, is it reality? Is it true to reality right now? Do you have a job right now? And if you do not have a job right now, the answer is no, this is not true. I should have a job right now is not true because right now I do not have a job. So then we have to think, how does it feel when you think this thought? Does that make sense? How does it feel when you have the thought, I should have a job right now? My guess is you're going to say things like, it feels pretty terrible, or I get really stressed out. I feel really depressed. None of the things probably feel very good when you have that thought. Now I'm going to ask you, how would it feel if you did not have this thought going through your head all of the time? If this thought was deleted from your mind, how would you feel? Most times the answer is amazing. I'd be so much more peaceful. I'd be so much less stressed. It would be awesome. Now, can you see a reason to continue having this thought? Knowing that it's not true, knowing that you don't feel good when you have it, knowing that you'd feel great if you didn't have it, can you see a reason to keep this thought? This one usually takes a little time because the ego likes to come up with reasons and rationalizations of why it should, but usually you'll kind of come to this conclusion of no. So then we have to do the next step, which is to flip it by asking, how can the opposite of this thought be as true or truer, even just a tiny bit truer than the previous thought? So what we have here again, our statement is, I should have a job right now. We would flip that to, I should not have a job right now. How could that statement, I should not have a job right now, be as true or truer? Here are some examples, since I don't know your exact situation, but these might relate to other people listening as well. Maybe the answers could be, one, because I'm caring for my family member who will really needs my love and attention while they're ill in this season of their life. This actually happened to me in one of my Life with Intention members, and it was a really big breakthrough for her to recognize that her ability to take a step back in her career right now to help her family member who's deeply ill was a huge sacrifice, but also one of the most meaningful legacies that she can possibly give in her lifetime. Or because although I could get a job, I'm waiting for one that feels aligned with my intuition, So I should not have a job right now could be truer because any other job thus far that you have found may not have been in alignment with what your intuition wanted you to do. So you knew that by taking any other jobs that have come up to this point, you would not be taking something in alignment with your intuition and that would have led to a lot of stress. Or maybe it's because I'm laying the groundwork for a new chapter in my life or career to emerge. And right now I'm in a situation which allows me to take the time I need for that to come forward. This is something I've definitely seen in many of the clients and even some friends of mine that I've worked with over the years. Depending on your situation, right now you may not financially have to quote unquote have a job at this exact moment in your life. You may have had to in the past, but for some reason, there are some circumstances right now that do not necessitate that you have a job. 
And that by taking this step and figuring out what the groundwork looks like right now, this next step in your life and or career will emerge by taking this step to focus on whatever you're focusing on in this chapter. So that one's really hard for people to deal with. There's a lot of guilt around that often because so many other people may not have those circumstances at this particular time, but that could be true for you. That could be what is as true or truer. And last but not least, because I meant to focus on a different area of my life in this season. That's another thing we have to consider. There are many seasons to our lives and there are many different areas in our lives and some of them mean more attention than others. Just because it is seen as default to start a career and never stop throughout our our lives, in, at least in the US, often at this day and age, that's not even fully true, but you might, you might be thinking that in your head. That may not be your reality right now. Maybe you have young children. Maybe you have just gone through an illness. Maybe there has been some sort of restructuring in your family or your career or your industry. Maybe there is a reason to focus on a different area of your life in this season. And that doesn't mean that career will not return to your life, but it may not be right now. So give that a shot. Again, that's called The Work by Byron Katie. It is so powerful for anything you guys are struggling with in your life. You can also just Google on YouTube Byron Katie and check her out working on this framework with so many people from around the world. It's truly powerful work. Next up, we have Waxwing Mercantile who asked, what career advice could you give someone who is excited by many interests and has tried several professional paths, but hasn't found their calling or a career that brings both personal fulfillment and financial security? Number one, my suggestion here is do what your intuition tells you to do next. So this has been the thing that has been the guiding principle in my own career over the last several years. And I would highly recommend you try the writing exercise that I mention here all the time at jesslively.com slash intuition. And my next answer for this is being the fact that you have tried several professional paths and hasn't found their calling, I would say that that is totally fine. Like there's no reason that you need to have one thing. A calling in and of itself, I think is sometimes misleading. And I've written a post back in the day called The Purpose Within You. And I would like to read it to you because it's not very long. And I think it will help to hopefully debunk this myth that we often feel, which is that purpose is this one magical thing in our lives that we need to find. And once we discover it, everything's going to fall into place. Here's my response to that idea. Many people are searching for the thing that is their purpose. But the truth is we bring our purpose to the things we do. For example, how could we possibly pin the purpose of Benjamin Franklin? Was his purpose simply to be a writer, printer, thinker, philosopher, politician, founding father, scientist, inventor, ambassador, wit, or father? Could we pin only one of those roles to his chest and call it his purpose? Never. His purpose did not exist in the things that he did. It came from within himself, applied to whatever he happened to be doing to serve others in that moment. Our purpose is not in the things we do. It is within ourselves and fuses to the things we do when we give ourselves fully to the task at hand right now. Want to know what to do next? Ask your gut what it is calling you to do. Then give yourself fully to that task. Once you hear another call, follow it. Allow your life to be fantastically full of variety or soulfully stuck to one simple path. Whichever the case, realize that the purpose is not the thing that you do. It is within you. 
basically here, I hope that you realize that Ben Franklin, who I adore, he is one of my favorite history people. I like to say he's my history crush. I named my first dog after Ben Franklin. In fact, I love him and he did so many fantastic things. How could we possibly say that he had one single calling? It would be impossible to do that. And I think that we put ourselves in too narrow of a scope when we want to say that we only have one thing to do as well. So yes, we may do one thing, like someone may find that they're soulfully stuck, as I said, to one simple path. But if that's not your case, that's wonderful. Just start applying yourself to where your intuition wants you to be next and allow your life to be full of variety and surprises. I don't know where my future is going to hold. I'm only 31 now. I've got many, many, hopefully more years to come to do many, many different things. And I'm so excited to see what's next. I don't need to feel like any one thing has to be what I do for the next many, many decades. And I hope that that is something that is liberating for you as well. Last but not least, we have Brie underscore Marie, who said something that came up in today's podcast. How do you balance patience and ambition in your work and keep it separate from self-worth? Ambition has always been a part of my self-worth. So what happens when I separate from that? This is a fascinating question, Brie. And I think you're speaking about it from the episode with Gary Vaynerchuk. So he and I may have different answers here. But when it comes to ambition, this is I'm just going to share from my own personal experience. I used to have what I guess I could consider a lot of ambition in the past. And for me, that ambition typically was from the ego. So I had all of these ideas of what I wanted to achieve and and be in career orientation. And I thought it would make me feel probably more self-worthy overall, which is like I've said earlier, part of the problem. So when I started to focus on my values and living my values in my career, in the present moment and following my intuition, what ended up happening is a lot of the ambition that was tied to shiny pennies that was not actually tied to my uppercase V values in the first place, those fell away. So things that were not inherently fulfilling, peaceful, and joyful fell away. The things that were just purely shiny pennies were not a part of my ambition anymore. However, when I did tap into my intuition and I did follow the path of my values, there was this sense of purpose and driving force and peace and joy that I had never really experienced, honestly, when I was just ambitious or competitive or any of those other things. I was not operating from the same energetic place. And what has been interesting as I've gone forward and even more and more interesting as I am even where I am in the most recent months is that the energy that comes from following the values and feeling innately fulfilled and satisfied with my present moment and grateful and all those things has actually been interesting because my career has accelerated in much further, faster, and more easily in this way than in the way that I used to approach it. So That would be from at least my own experience is that ambitions that are not tied to values drop and things that are value driven emerge and there's a flow that emerges that is so much more peaceful and enjoyable, at least from my own experience, that I hope that happens for you as well. And there you have it. Thank you guys so much for all of your questions. It has been an honor to serve you. If you'd like to check out more and join us in the class, you can go over to workandworth.com. 
Class starts April 6th. Registration closes the same day. So you have just a week to sign up and we will begin soon. For show notes for today's episode, you can head over to jesslively.com slash work and worth questions. And you can find me on Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter at jesscasses as in class lively. Before I share who's coming up this Thursday on The Lively Show, I'd like to take a moment to share about today's sponsor, FreshBooks.com. I love FreshBooks. I love it. I love it. I love it. I feel like I should make you guys a song about FreshBooks by this point so that I can sing you this beautiful song about how much I love my bookkeeping software. If you're an entrepreneur, if you're a small business owner that does not have inventory, maybe you're a freelancer or maybe you're an interior designer or maybe you're a graphic designer, all of these types of businesses, I believe, deserve to check out FreshBooks for the bookkeeping. I used to use what is commonly known as one of the most popular bookkeeping softwares out there, and I used to hate bookkeeping. Now I look forward to it. I love logging into it. Of all the many, many programs I have for my team, I love going into FreshBooks the most. It's beautiful. It's simple. It's clean. It shows me where my money is. It shows me when my invoices have been viewed and when they've been paid. And I want you to give it a shot just so that you can see what I'm talking about. If you'd like to free 30-day trial, please go over to freshbooks.com backslash lively to see what I'm talking about. And now for a sneak peek. This Thursday, we're speaking with Barrett Brooks of fizzle.co about what to do first when you aren't enjoying your job. Many of us in our careers hit a point where we no longer feel like the place that we're at is serving us and we initially often think about leaving the job and looking for a new opportunity. However, Barrett's episode is going to show you what you should do first, which is going to help save you so much time in the long run and is truly going to help you identify what the next right move really is for you. Until then, may something wonderful happen to you today. <laughs> 